Bruce Larson, UPC's senior pastor from 1980 to 1990, passed away on December 15th. In honor of him, we're posting several of his sermons from his years at UPC. A beloved pastor and friend, Reverend Larson impacted countless lives, and his legacy of books and sermons will continue to share his wisdom and love. Special words to you in the chapel this morning. Uh, Good news, next Sunday there will be permanent closed-circuit television that uh, any who cannot make this service will be with us visually, and I wish that were true for you in the radio audience as well. Here now, uh, God's Word, Luke 3, beginning verse 21. Jesus is about to begin his ministry. Now, when all the people were baptized by John, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And Jesus himself was about thirty years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. You see, Luke doesn't give up the virgin birth. He believes in it. The son of Joseph, the son of Heli, and then we will skip many of these genealogies. But it's interesting, as the list of Jesus' genealogy through Joseph continues, we come to the fact that he is the son of David, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Noah, the son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, on down to the son of Adam, the son of God. Can't get more universal than that. Passages are always poignant for families and their children. You remember your own or your children's, if you're a parent, uh, their birth, which is the ultimate passage and death, but in between. Uh, baptisms, uh, graduations, the passage of marriage, the passage of parenthood, but the passages where people move from one phase to another, and there's something very poignant about that. New beginnings are important because your life and my life is full of new beginnings. And the key question to ask at the end of a passage or the beginning of a passage is who am I now? I'm not the person that I was before. I now begin something new. Who am I now with this new beginning? The key to success is to continue to ask, who am I now? Because we keep changing. One of the most poignant stories in my own personal past is the story of my mother, who, whose mother died when she was born. Her father remarried, had 11 children, and she was the only stepchild of her stepmother. At 14, this very difficult girl was sent against her will by her parents, her mother and stepfather, her father and stepmother, to a, an unknown relative in America, 14, did not know the language, sent to a land she didn't know, who spoke a language she didn't speak, to an unknown distant relative. What would you do if you were the father of that little girl? In her Bible, which she preserved and gave to me, were two verses that her father put into her Bible. I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. And the other verse, and Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Think of the terror in your heart under pressure from your new wife to send your firstborn away. 
and you say, what can I give Lily? I want her to know who she is, that she is a child of God through Jesus Christ. And with only that and a ticket, she came to America. Now, Jesus begins his Messiahship here, and he asks the question, as we all must, who am I? Who am I, son of Joseph and Mary? Who am I as I begin this greatest work in the whole universe? True identity, then, for any of us, as for Jesus, comes from asking the question, who am I? It comes from God, and it comes from people. This is how we know who we are. Identity comes from God himself. Now, there are three questions about our text this morning, our, our scripture. Why did Jesus pray, first of all? Well, did he pray for gifts? No, doesn't say so. But how do you spend most of your time praying? Is it asking for things, interceding for people? I'm sure much of your prayer life is that. But I'll bet, like me, most of my prayer is the same thing Jesus did, just keeping a relationship going with my father. I talk to him out loud in the shower. I talk to him out loud when I'm shaving. I talk to him out loud riding my bike on the Burke Gilman Trail when there's nobody too close. I talk to him in my car when there's nobody else in the car driving down the freeway or the I-5. I talk to him in my office when the door is closed. The point is, Jesus says, the most important thing God has to give you is himself, a relationship that says, you know, you and I, you belong to me. I am your father. And prayer, more than for the gifts, prayer is basically to reestablish a relationship. And Jesus did that. Now, the second question is, why was Jesus baptized? He who was sinless. And John called people to a baptism of repentance. Jesus was baptized, obviously, to identify with us. He was like us in every way except for sin, even to the fact that he submitted to baptism at John's hands. He is like us. But why was there a physical expression of God's power coming into him like a dove? And by the way, we think of the dove as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That was not true for the Jews. That was a strange symbol. Now we accept this. But why would this spirit like a dove descend in physical form? Why would there be a voice coming saying, you are my beloved son, because God says you are not like anyone else. You are like everybody, and you are like nobody else. You are unique, which is what he says to you. You are like Mr. Carter, each one of you. Each one of you is like Mr. Reagan. Each one of you here is like a wino down at Pioneer Square. There's not a human being in the world, whatever condition, that is not somewhat like you and me, in hopes and fears, and yet God says don't forget. You are like nobody else that ever was. You are my special child, my special daughter, my special son. Why was there a sign? We don't know. But you see, all of us need some kind of a sign to say you are special. Blaise Pascal, that amazing uh, French scientist and Christian saint of years ago, uh, centuries ago, uh, when he was dead, this man who invented the barometer and the first uh, bus system in Paris and the adding machine, a brilliant scientist, died at 33. But this man, who was also a great Christian saint, fellow pilgrim, when he died, they found in the jacket he always wore a piece of paper sewed in the lining. When it was taken out, it described a night in his life when he sat in his room and the fire of God came down. And it's called fire, fire in the night, consuming me all around, glory, wonder. No one knew about that. He wrote the words down quickly, sewed them in the lining of his jacket to be able to feel the crinkle of the paper inside his coat to say, I know, something happened, I am special, I am like no one else. 
private between God and him. And Jesus had the same thing. One of you here this week told me that at your conversion, you were at a, an ashram and somebody was praying for you. You came forward for prayer. And when you looked up, it wasn't a woman laying hands on you. You saw Jesus. You saw Jesus. And uh, you knew unmistakably this is not public information. This is something, a sign, a vision, a, a, a token from God to you. Something has begun, something special. For me, there are things that happened to me when I said yes to Jesus Christ that I've never shared with anybody. Things that God didn't say that said, no, the old is over, the new has begun. You are my child, and you have the same thing. God has given you signs, but don't share them. They're really for you only. You might incidentally tell someone, but these are private things, and Jesus had them too. I remember one woman in West Hartford, Connecticut, who uh, was bothered by some of the people like in this church who were living a new adventure in Jesus. And she kept seeing her fellow church members and friends who were discovering new life. And she said, well, I know it's Jesus, but I, I, I can't begin this new life because my book is so filled. I have so many appointments, so many social things to keep. I can't turn over my life to Christ, uh, like you're all saying, but I want to. So she looked ahead for seven weeks to find one clear day. Nothing that she had to do. She said, I'll give Jesus that day. I can do that. Whatever he asks, I have no appointments that day. She couldn't wait. The day came. She said, Jesus, I give you my life irrevocably for today. And what happened was she was taken ill, put to bed that day. The doctor came and said, it's nothing serious. All you need is rest. Just stay in bed for several days. And she said, you know, I thought giving my life to Jesus would mean increasing my busy schedule. And I discovered that God is someone who says, Mary, Mary, you're too busy. Slow down. I want to give you things. I want to bless you. And she never forgot that first day she gave her life to the Lord when he said, hey, ease up. Don't try harder. Don't try so hard. Now, maybe only Jesus heard the voice. Luke doesn't tell us. Maybe Jesus said, you know, when I was praying and the dove came, I heard the voice. Maybe they all heard. We don't know. But this is a sign. Now, in verse 22, we find the whole trinity in one scene. The father who sends the dove says, this is my son. One verse. And you have the entire theology of the trinity. One God, three persons. Amazing. Well, now, who are you? You are like all people. You are unique. Uh, and the father says that because you are mine, I made nobody else like you. You are unique. Charlie Leber, one of our great missionary leaders in our church, tells about being in Westphalia, Germany, at a clinic for very handicapped children. And the doctor told him the day before a very wealthy businessman had been taken through from whom they hoped to get money to support this work. And he said, now, these are very pathetic children. He said, what would you say are the, uh, what ratio of cures do you get of people who can go back and be completely normal? The doctor said, well, I guess about one in 100. He said, it's not worth it. One in a hundred, the doctor said, I said to him, yes, if it was your child, it would be worth it. That's what God says. You know, you are special. If it was only you, it's worth it. But now a second thing. I identity comes from God for Jesus, for you and me. Your identity then as you begin a new passage comes from other people, from individuals. People around you tell you who you are. One of the greatest sermons I ever heard was preached by Carlisle Marney, recently deceased Baptist preacher, uh, who talked about the people in your cellar and the people in your balcony. He said, now Freud said, all of us have in our cellar voices, parents, relatives, old 
uh, acquaintances who keep dragging us down saying, don't forget, and, you know, boo on you, and people there that are kind of dragging us down. And Freud says, try and make peace with those people. But he says, I want to tell you something. All of us have people in our balcony. There are people there in the balcony of your life that you have put there, that God has put there, special people who are yelling down to you things about who you are. You know, a special a scout leader, a special teacher, an old aunt, a neighbor, a friend, a peer along the way who believed in you before you believed in yourself, who said, listen, Larson, you can do it. We believe in you. And these are special people. Now, the interesting thing is, in Jesus' genea in Joseph's genealogy here, Luke reminds us Joseph is not Jesus' real father by genes. But he gives the genealogy because I think Luke, the physician, understands a recent phenomenon we understand now, psychogenetic inheritance. That's why I was corrected a few weeks ago by saying adoptive parents and real parents. They said, no, no, the adoptive parents are real parents. You bet they are. Because psychogenetic inheritance means that we learn how to handle life from the people we live with who model something for us. People who teach us how to be people, how to react, for better or for worse. Uh, we be, the, sh the shape of our body, being fat or thin, often comes not from genes, but from watching how people eat and live and handle insecurities. Our relationships, our warmth or our closeness, our hope, our lack of hope, our caring, our lack of caring, come from people. And Luke is saying, Joseph must have been an incredible father to Jesus. He taught Jesus how to be a Jew, how to be a man, how to be a person, how to be a father. And Jesus could speak about God the Father with these marvelous terms because he had a father who somehow modeled for him what fatherhood was all about. So psychogenetic inheritance is enormously important. And you see, the point is, Jesus had this genealogy. He had all of these marvelous heroes in Israel's history in his balcony, not through the genes of Joseph, but by psychogenetic inheritance, and you and I have them. You have special people in your balcony, friends from the past whom God has put there, who are telling you, we believe in you. Before you believed in yourself, we believed in you. But besides those people, you have all the people Jesus had in his genealogy. They are yours too, psychogenetic biblical people. All of the people we read about this morning and more are yours. Think about it. Think about the fact. Preacher? Yes, what is it? I got a couple words to say. Could you uh, uh, say that? Who, who are you? My name is Adam, first man. Now, I'm down here to talk to somebody. Yeah, you know who you are. If you've done the big sin, huh? the one God can't forget. Hey, what about me? I vote everybody. Remember me? Well, hey, God can forgive you. Forgive me. And we're up there, we're rooting for you, Adam. We're betting on you. Hey, you can do it.
bet. <laughs> I can guarantee you speak to the women. That one, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you too. My name is Esther, and I'm here to talk to you who are wondering about whether you have any word, whether God can use women. I speak from experience. Listen to me. God uses women. Use me. And for you, I, I just want to tell you, you are very special to God's eyes. I've been looking at this person down here in this back row here that's just kind of nodding off. Just kind of wondering how long go the sermon is over. I just, want to, I just want to tell you that, you know, you don't need to, to, to feel like you need to sit in the back row to feel like you're just an ordinary person here in this church. You know, my name is Isaac, and I kind of you know, had a, a boring kind of life in the Bible. It doesn't say a whole lot about me. But I'm important. I'm one of God's children. And you are one of God's children. And we're both equal in His eye. And so it's really important that we try to be extraordinary children in His eye. And now, Dad, are you done? Yes. My name is David. I'm Dad. And I'm your top kid. These kids down there who are fighting on these top kids, you should see me at Esau. I'm David, and there's more than one of you that I want to talk to today. You're not the only one to wrestle with sexual problems. Yeah. I have a PhD in sexual failure. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go around being bound up in the village. You just set it free. I'm counting on you to press on. Listen, you've heard it. Do you believe it? Do you believe that these people are in your balcony and my balcony, not just... <laughs> not just those special people God sent to you alone, but we have these ancestors up there, as Jesus had. Adam says, don't give up because you blew it. God will give you a second chance. Noah says, go against the crowd. Follow your guidance. Abraham says to you, trust God and leave the safe and the familiar and live by risk and danger. Tara says, believe in your kids even when you think they're wrong. Isaac says the non-spectacular people are crucial to the kingdom of God. And Jacob says, don't let your family label you. Let God give you a name. And David says, sex problems, I had them too. It's never too late to begin over again if you really mean it. And Esther says to you gals, get involved in the real world. The Bible says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. When you leave here today and tomorrow and the next day, let those people God has sent to you tell you who you are. They believe in you. When you can't believe in yourself, believe in them because they believe in you for the sake of Jesus Christ and the kingdom. Now we sing the closing two verses of Lord Speak to Me, number 298.
every worship experience is a time of new beginnings. You go out to something brand new that God has in store for you. Claim it. Don't be afraid of the risk. And listen to the people in your balcony because they're right and they believe in you. And Jesus Christ has sent them to you to be a part of your daily inheritance and the daily dynamic. If you want to know more about that, come down and meet with some friends here in the chapel. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you this day, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen.